branches, palm branches. And this actually fulfilled a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. We don't have time to read it, but you can go back and read it if you want. Zechariah 9, 9. It's called the, also called the triumphal entry. So it's called Palm Sunday, but also called the triumphal entry. Uh, because when Jesus was performing all these miracles, uh, the Jews and, 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 the, and the rulers took note, hey, this person is um, doing miracles the way that we believe the Messiah is going to do miracles. And, he, and, by, and by riding into Jerusalem, he fulfilled the prophecy. And these Jews understood that. And so they expected, they not expected, when they saw him walk in, they thought this is the Messiah. This is the man who we have been waiting for for hundreds and even thousands of years to come and save us. And they actually thought their idea of the Messiah was this. So the Jews had been in bondage ever since um, uh, the days of the Babylon captivity. And so they had been in bondage hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they were expecting their Messiah to come in and free them from the Roman enslavement. The Romans were in charge during that time. The, the Roman Empire was in full swing. And so uh, the nation of Israel, was uh, the land of Judea, was actually under Roman control. So the Jews wanted Jesus to come in, and, or the Messiah, they thought Jesus was the Messiah, to come in, and they thought that he was going to uh, take over and establish, give, the, give the land back to Jewish, um, to Jewish rule. Y'all following me? So, and, and we know this, look at Acts chapter one, verse seven. This is after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. This is what the disciples thought. They still didn't understand Jesus's purpose in coming to earth. Look at Acts one, verse seven. It says, so when they had come together, this is after he was raised from the dead, they asked him, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, you've already done everything. You said you, you said you were going to die. We didn't expect you, for you to go to the cross. We didn't want you to. We all ran and scattered. You know, we didn't think, okay, this is not the way we thought the Messiah was going to come. But okay, you did what you need to do. You rose from the dead. Are you at this time going to do what we thought you were going to do? And this is what Jesus said. And they asked him, Lord, will you restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so they, their idea of what Jesus, the Messiah, was going to do didn't happen. And Jesus said, I'm going to establish a kingdom. I'm going to come back. But right now I'm going to establish a different type of kingdom first. And this is actually what our church was based on, kingdom church. Hearing, uh, knowing Jesus, hearing his voice, hearing what the father is saying to us and doing the things that he did, following him to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel. So we see that Jesus did establish a kingdom, but is not, uh, and he's going to come again, establish complete rule and authority here on earth. But it's, but first he has to establish a different kind of kingdom first. So uh, it is called the triumphal entry because they thought the Messiah was coming in and that he was going to establish his rule and reign. So today's message is entitled preparing for Jesus preparing for Jesus. And I, this is the purpose of the message. I want to read the story of G, how Jesus rode into Jerusalem and learn how his presence can also enter our personal lives. That's the purpose of this message. We're going to read the uh, Palm Sunday story, the triumphal entry, and learn how Jesus entered Jerusalem and study it and see if we can also learn uh, uh, how he can enter our lives by the way he entered Jerusalem. Is that clear? Good. Now, I want to make clear, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about how we can have more of Jesus's presence in our life. I know when we say 
God's presence. Come, come, Father, come bring your presence. I know that's kind of churchy lingo. That's kind of, I, how many of y'all come from a background where you're used to saying that phrase, Father, let your presence come in. Holy Spirit, let your presence come, right? A lot of us are, and I am. And I understand as I was preparing, that may not be true for everybody. But when we're saying his presence, uh, we're wanting his ideas. We're wanting his way of thinking. We're wanting uh, even, even uh, not just those things, but even uh, the things that we can sense with, with our emotions, uh, with, our, with our ears, with our eyes. We want to have the totality of his presence in our, in our lives. And I thought about it this way. Are there any, is there anybody in your life that by having their presence in your life, your, your, your life is personally enriched? How many of y'all have that person that you just wish you could have them in your life every day, just talking, texting, right? We want Jesus' presence to be in our life that way. It doesn't have to be this super religious thing, but when we're talking about Jesus' presence coming into our life, we're talking about him coming in that way. This is what we want. So we're going to read the story, and you can turn to Matthew 21. This is where we read the Palm Sunday story. And we're going to look how Jesus entered Jerusalem and see if we can uh, glean some of these things that we read and see how we can uh, use those things to see how Jesus can enter our life. So Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, uh, saying, this is the prophecy I was talking about a minute ago. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So he fulfilled that prophecy. Look at verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread, look, how, look what they did when Jesus came. They brought the donkey and put their cloaks on the donkey and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches, there we go, from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. This is what they said. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds asked, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Now I want to mention this, the palm branches, they wave the palm branches and they're called palm branches in the book of John, but in Matthew it just says branches. Um, they would have only done this for a king. If you, if you research the history, they wouldn't have just done this for any man. Palm branches were used uh, for the highest honor and specifically for a king. Palm branches also signif they signify victory, they signify well-being, and they also signify goodness. These uh, were palm branches meant. You would see palm branches depicted on coins and important buildings. Actually, King Solomon had palm branches imprinted in the temple. If you can go back to 1 Kings uh, chapter 6 and read about that when he was constructing the temple. And if any of y'all know anything about the temple that he constructed, it was a uh, multi-million dollar building, even by today's standards. I think there's some estimates it may have been cost over like three or four hundred million dollars. Um, and so he put palm branches because palm branches uh, were a very important symbol during that time. And actually, this is really interesting. As I was doing research, uh, 
we are going to, in the end time, when Jesus comes back, we're actually going to use palm branches. I want to read this. This is really awesome. Revelation 7, verse 9. Revelation, this is the revelation that John had. It says, after this, this is John, I looked and behold a great multitude. That's going to be us who are, call ourselves believers and follow Jesus. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all ty- tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't that awesome? Palm branches, this wasn't an insignificant thing that the people did in, in uh, inviting Jesus into Jerusalem. What did they do after they laid the coats? And what did they do after they laid the palm branches on the road? They sang Jesus' praises. They welcomed Jesus' presence into Jerusalem, into their home, with expressed praise and worship, which leads me to our first point. This is the first point. We prepare for Jesus to enter our lives when we praise and worship him. I did a series, I've done a series on worship. Some of you have heard it before um, a couple times. But worship is not just the slower part of the music on a Sunday morning. So if you've paid attention, the first couple songs we sing on a Sunday morning are kind of fast, a little bit upbeat. You can move around, you can jump if you want. Uh, and the second couple songs are slower songs. And I don't have time to get into why we do that. But a lot of times we think that worship is a slower part of the, of, of, of the, the songs. But uh, music is actually, it's, it's, worship isn't part of music. Music is part of worship. And actually praise is one expression of worship. We, when we hear praise and worship, we think um, they're, they're equal. But actually praise is an expression of worship. This is what worship means. It comes from an old English word meaning worth-ship. And this is the definition. It means to give something worth, to demonstratively attribute value, especially to a deity or God. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. So when we worship someone or something, we are demonstratively, we are expressing with actions how much that person or thing means to us. Now look at Romans 12, verse 1 in that, in that light. This is what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. We worship God. We show him how much he means to us uh, by, uh, by giving him our lives. And so I was, I was going to say it like this. How much is God worth to you? What does the Bible say? How much is God worth to us? According to Romans 12 verse 1, God is worth the value of our whole being. He's worth us laying down our lives for his service the way that he laid down his life for us. That is the goal. And so I just want to ask you a question. How how well are you demonstratively attributing worship to God? How much you are showing God in your life shows how much he means to you. You can say you're a Christian, you can say you love God, but if you're, uh, worship is a lot like love. You can say you love somebody, but unless you show it, it doesn't mean anything. We have a lot of Christians who say, I'm a Christian, but in reality, you're not, because you're not expressing, and maybe you don't know, and that's okay, but some of us, we know. I, 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 look, I, I like to look around during worship as I'm worshiping and praising, 
and, and just see what people are doing. And it's sad, but there are some people that know how to worship, know how to praise, and we're not doing it. You can, you're a Christian, love God, but don't, don't say that you're a worshiping Christian. Because worship like love has to be expressed. It has to be expressed. And these are just a couple ways we express it. There's a few, and I don't have time to go into uh, the, the Greek words like we did before, but these are a few ways we express worship. We express praise. We sing. We play with instruments. We shout praises to God. You may hear me shouting during the worship. I'm not just, this isn't just something that I do. It's something that the word commands us to do. We raise our hands in praise. We clap our hands. We bow. We dance. We demonstrate with our lives, with our hands, with our voices, how much God means to us. What did the Jews do? Look at Mark 11, the same story, but in the book of Mark, Mark 11, verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. I'm going to say it like they said it. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's how they said it. They didn't say Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he. No, they said it with authority. In the original Aramaic language, Hosanna is a word that means joyful exclamation of praise. Joyful exclamation of praise. So you can't say it unless you say it the right way. Otherwise, the, the word loses its value. And actually in the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, the, Hosanna was used as an appeal for deliverance. So as the Jews are walking, as Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem, the Jews are literally crying out, Jesus, save us. We acknowledge that you're king. We believe that you're the Messiah because of all the miracles that you're doing. Hosanna, save us, deliver us from the Roman oppression. I don't know about you, but I want to praise Jesus that way because I need to be delivered from some things. The level of your hosanna, the level of your praise will determine how much you want to be free. I want to be free. That's why I continually, and I know I, I sit at the front, I know if you see me worship, but I, I need to be free. I, we were singing that last song, uh, I forgot how the last part goes, Look, your grace holds me now. Once I was broken, now I'm found. Once I was lost. Man, as I was, man, I, I just got emotional. I, I, I just felt the Lord just speak just, I, in my whole body, I just felt him speak to me. And I thought, Lord, you have saved me. You have saved me. And I know, and we have, we've been saved by, from a lot of things. But guess what? There are some things that we can't see that we need to continue to be delivered from. So I am praising him, uh, 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 proclaiming how good he is because I need him to continue to do work in my life. It was pronounced with messianic expectations. Check this. They literally, with their praise, they literally ushered Jesus in to their homes. And I really believe, I really believe that if they had not praised him in, he would not have come in. This is, my, this is, this is one of my soapboxes. I was talking to uh, Priscilla Joe. She's not here. She, she shared this with me a couple weeks ago. She said when her kids were younger, Isaiah, who's like about my age, he said when he was like five, six, seven years old, uh, they were on their way to church. And he, I believe she said that her and William got in an argument. And she was just mad. And I don't know what the argument was about. She walked in and, and they had worship and praise going. And, and she said, God, I'm not going to worship you. I'm mad. I don't want to do, I don't want to, I just don't feel like it. 
I'm not going to do it. She says she was standing there in her seat during worship, and she heard, like, banging on the wall. She heard, like, something going on, and she turned to Isaiah because she thought Isaiah was hitting the wall or messing around or whatever. And she's heard, and she said she didn't hear anything. She turned back around, and she's still there, you know, mad, whatever. And she says she heard it again, turned to get on Isaiah, and Isaiah wasn't doing anything. He was just, he was just playing or whatever. And she said if she felt like the Lord spoke to her. She said, if you don't cry out to me, the walls will cry out. She said, sheetrock will praise me. Look what the Jews said. And some of, Luke 10, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, they re, said, rebuke your disciples. They're praising my name. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. There is no shortage of praise that is going on to our Father day and night, day and night. The waves sing his praise. The branches sing his praise. He is worthy of our praise. And she said from that moment on, she's, she was convicted. I'm going to worship you from now on because I don't want a wall to take my place. I, we are created in his image. These walls, this, this building, the stones, whatever, they're not created in his image. We are created in his image. He deserves all praise and glory. They literally ushered him in to their homes. What are you willing to do to usher Jesus into your home? telling you, if you come next Sunday, we should all be praising, praising, worshiping. I know that there may be, there's this, like, hey, I'm shy. And, hey, I, that's, understa- that's understandable. But there comes a place where we, we realize we're going to be standing before God one day in heaven, and there ain't going to be nobody around us. There's going to be no time to be shy. Jesus deserves our praise and glory today. Today. I want our church to be known as a church who worships and praises him. I want to continue. I want to continue on with the story. Look at Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the table. This is what he did. So he went from riding into Jerusalem. Let me back back up. He went from riding into Jerusalem and then went into the temple. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall not shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So we see Jesus right into Jerusalem, and it's crazy. He didn't stop to sign autographs. He didn't stop to take pictures. He got off the donkey, went straight into the temple, and kicked out these people who were selling, uh, were, were selling pigeons and, and the money changers. We're going to go more into this, into this part of the story, but I want to just introduce the second part. Of the second point, we have two points. The second point of this message, which is we prepare for Jesus to enter our lives when we accept this is the key word when we accept that He's coming to clean His house. And what who is His house? We're His house. First Corinthians 6 19 through 20. We are His house. Uh, Jesus will accept you as you are. If you're, if you're a first time guest, we just welcome you in here. If you're a new believer, I'm glad you're here, glad you're serving the Lord. He will accept us all as we are, but he will not keep you as you are. There's this thing called sanctification in the Bible, and it's the process of being made holy. If you don't, un- if you don't understand or accept that God wants to change you, wants to change you where you're sitting in your seat, he wants to change you, you're going to have a hard time being a Christian. I know there's people who say, 
why is this happening to me? God, I don't know why this is going on. I don't know, God, why I've been going to church. I've been tithing. You know, I've been volunteering. I've been serving. Why is this happening to me? And I, I, I most times, I, if I were to sit down with you and, and just talk through what you're going through, I could tell you why you're going through those things. And I could tell you why because I've gone through many of those things. There have been plenty of times in my life where I said, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. And it wasn't until after I went through it that I realized, oh, I needed to go through that because there was these blind spots in, in my vision. And unless the Lord came and changed some things, I wasn't going to ever move them on my own. We have to accept and realize that God is coming to change us and can't be surprised when things happen. We will prepare a room for Jesus' presence in our lives when we understand this point. Now, let's go back to the story real quick. At first glance, this it seems that Jesus is simply upset with uh, the people in the temple because they have animals in there and because they have the money changers. Um, but when you, th- when you think about this, these tables were actually necessary for, uh, for their place in the temple. They were necessary. What they, were, what they would do is they, ha- they had believers coming from all over, uh, all over the world. We had, there were a lot of uh, Jews, because if you remember, for the last couple hundred years, they had been taken to captivity everywhere. So Jews would come home and go into the temple. So there, the tables were necessary to exchange currency. There was actually a temple tax that had to be paid, uh, and they had to pay. It was a half shekel, so they had to exchange the money so they could go in or, or, or go into the courtyard. The animals were also needed for sacrifices. So we see pigeon, they had the pigeons. Those were needed for the sacrifices. Everything that Jesus got rid of was needed. Everything was needed. And I, before I, I did research on this, I didn't understand. And I was like, oh, I guess they weren't supposed to be there. They maybe set up in the wrong place. Maybe they're supposed to be outside of the temple. No, all that was necessary. So, what's go, so what was the issue? This, is what, this was the issue, how they were doing business. Now, who was in charge of the temple? The religious people, the Pharisees, the rulers, they were in charge. I want to look at the significance of the table. This is, this is important. The table that Jesus overthrew, it says, I want to go back to it real quick. O- overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. That's significant, that they sold pigeons. In the book of Leviticus, it talks about the different offerings that the Jewish people we're supposed to bring in. And so, uh, according, God commanded that each person was to bring an offering. And there are several different types of offerings. But God commanded the people to bring in an offering that met their economic situation. So, if you had, if you were well off and you had a lot of money, you would bring a goat. You would bring a bull. You would bring a sacrifice that, uh, that, that matched where you were in life. And if you were... Not so well off, maybe a little poorer, you would bring in, you know, a goat, a sheep, or something less than that. The poorest people brought in pigeons. They brought in pigeons. Jesus overthrew, it didn't say Jesus overthrew the, the, the tables of the people who sowed goats, bulls. It says he overthrew the table of those who sold pigeons. So Jesus had issue with those who were dealing with the poor. That was the issue. In one, in one commentary, it says that the leaders were wrongfully banning people from entering the temple. Just putting another church, they were taking advantage of the poor. And Jesus said, uh-uh, I have an issue with that. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you religious leaders have taken it upon yourself to take advantage of the poor. The weakest people, 
uh, in my nation, and I'm not going to have it. God accepts everyone, and I'm going to make sure that we're going to keep that in place. The temple had no longer been used for its created purpose, a house of prayer for all. Instead, it became a place where rulers could take advantage of the system. So Jesus makes his point. He flips the tables and condemns the temple and its leaders and actually pronounced judgment on the temple. About 40 years later, the temple was completely destroyed. And interestingly, if you keep reading, he, he began to heal those who were being taken advantage of. Look at Matthew 21, verse 14. And the blind after that, and the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. This is a side point, but God always bring, will always bring justice whether or not we see it. How does this apply to us? Jesus was addressing the religious leaders, those in charge of the temple, the house of God. Well, guess what? There's no more temple, and the Jews are going to build a temple. But now that Jesus uh, died for us, was raised from the dead, we all have access to him. The temple was simply a way that, w- that the people in the Old Testament could have access to God. Now we have complete access, so there's no more temple. So, who's, so the Bible actually says we're the temple. So who's in charge of your temple? Everyone should say, I am. I am. We are in charge. This is what Jesus is saying, and and, and I wrote this out. I I just want to read it to clearly state this. Jesus is saying this to us today. He said, you have polluted your temple, which is really my temple, and have been using it for other reasons other than it was designed for fellowship with me. If we are to continue in our relationship, I have to come and move things around. And we can, we can have two responses to this. We can either resist him and say, no, God, I don't understand why this. You wouldn't do this. We could blame it on the devil. Well, the devil is doing this. The devil attacking me. And God is saying, hey, don't give the credit to the devil. I'm the one doing this in your life right now. We can resist him or we can say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know if this is you. I don't know if this is the devil. But I'm going to trust that you have your life. You hold me now. You have... Uh, you have my life in your hands, and I'm going to trust you. This is really important to understand as a believer. This is really, really important. How many of y'all have said, God, I'm living for you. Why is this happening? I mentioned that a few minutes ago. Why is this happening to me? When things are happening to us, we have to understand this. It's not always because we're living in sin. A lot of times, and I've grown up with this fear. I grew up in a denomination that kind of instilled fear in, into me. Not on purpose, but it just said, if I wasn't living right, then God was mad at me. Sometimes we can be living for the Lord, doing our best to serve him, and bad things still happen to us. Now, absolutely, if you're sinning and you call yourself a son or daughter of God, expect God to come and discipline you because... Um, if he didn't discipline you, you go off on your own, and then one day you'd, you'd, you would, you'd totally reject him and then uh, live in hell one day forever. And God doesn't want that, so he comes to discipline us. But sometimes as we're living, because we just don't see, so we can have a good heart, we can have a sincere heart. Sometimes we, allow, we shift things in our life, and God say, God's saying, I can't, I can't live in that way. So I have to come and move things around. I remember growing up, and... and uh, as I've said hundreds of times, I, I had great parents, loved the Lord, raised us the right way. And I remember just giving my life to the Lord. I remember thinking I had friends who were going and doing things, having fun, 
um, maybe didn't have the same convictions that I had, and I'm like, God, how come I can't, how come I can't do some of these things? And then now weren't also necessarily bad things. They weren't necessarily bad, but there are things that like, man, I, I, I wish I could do those things. I, wish, I remember my mom, um, whenever I was graduating high school, um, I wanted to go to uh, this, this, this uh, Christian school called TBI. And all, a lot of my friends were going, and I wanted to go, and my dad was like, yeah, I think that would be good. And my mom said, nope, you're not going to TBI. <laughs> and I was like, mom, I'm 18. Actually, I was 17. I'm about to be 18. I want to I wanna go. And she's like, no. And I, I, I don't know if you remember, but I tried convincing her. Like, I want to go. All my friends are going. It will be good. What my mom knew that I didn't really probably know is that a lot of these kids, and this isn't true because we have some people from TBI. This isn't true. The Christian has been, Haven's gone. Um, a lot of these kids who were going didn't have a good foundation, and they were going to get a good foundation. Uh, my mom realized I had a good foundation, and I really didn't need that. And and so it was just stuff like this. I was like, I was saying, God, why? How come I can't take part in these things? And as I've grown, I've realized that God was actually answering my prayers because my prayer from 15 years old, even before this, I got, I want to do what you want to do. Keep me from evil. Help me to stay on your path. And as a result, my prayers were answered. And God kept me from things that my flesh wanted to do and take part of that weren't, not ne- that weren't necessarily bad, but they just weren't best for what the plan that God had for me. Here's another example. Have any of you ever prayed for patience? And that God puts you in the most impatient situations? So as we're going back to this point, as we're living for the Lord, just because things are happening to us, doesn't necessarily mean we're doing something bad. We may, as we're living, just have had put things out of place. And God is saying, hey, I love you. And I want to I want to have more. I want to be more involved in your life. But before I do that, I have to move some things around. I may need to flip some tables. I may need to kick out some things violently. I don't know about you, but I've experienced some violent things in my life. And, I, and in the moment, I thought it was hell attacking me. But as I've lived, I've seen, you know what? The devil probably had a hand in that, but God was using him for his glory in my life. God will rearrange and move things in our lives so that his presence can remain and rest in our lives. This is the last thing I'm going to say. We prepare for Jesus' presence to enter our lives when we accept that he's coming to clean his house and we continually allow him to clean it. So I just want to ask you, First of all, are you, are you worshiping him? Are you praising him? The word, and it's not just in that story, but the word ex- explicitly teaches that God inhabits the praises of his people. The way that Jesus entered Jerusalem is the way that he will enter our lives. I just want to challenge you, worship him. And I, I, I know I've been talking about in here, but the word says worship is laying down our life for him. So each day, when you get up, say, ask the Father, Father, how can I worship you? How can I, how do you want me to give more of my life to you so that you'll be glorified? This is the truth. And, and next week is Easter. We're going to be talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus laid down his life for you. Like, he gave it all. Why aren't we giving down all of our life for him? And then we realize that Jesus is coming to move things around. Just and yeah, these people they they were sinning, they were these these rulers, they were taking advantage of the poor. We may not find ourselves in that same situation where 
we're just on purpose rejecting God. But as we live, we may not knowing move things around in our life and God say, hey, if I'm going to, if I'm going to come more into your life, if I'm going to rest in your life and my presence is going to rest, then I need to come and move some things around. And we don't need to be surprised when crazy things happen because really God is just using that as an opportunity to sanctify us and make us more like him. Let's all stand. We're going to go to the Lord real quick. And I really believe there are some things that we need to give to the Lord. This is Palm Sunday, mentioned a bunch of times. Jesus wants to come into our life more. His presence. His presence, he wants to come more into our life. But the word teaches that we have much of God's presence in our lives as we want. So I want to ask you a question. How much of his presence do you want in your life? It's up to you. When you go home and you're asking God, God, where are you? He's saying, I'm waiting for you. We, y'all that are in here, you have no more excuses as to why God's not in your life. When you go home and you ask God, God, why, where are you? God's saying, I'm waiting for you to invite me in. The word says in Revelation 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's standing at the door of our heart saying, how much of God do you want in your life? I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to reveal some things that we need to lay down at his feet. I believe there are some people in here who have been, they, they think they've been fighting the devil. They think they've been fighting the devil in certain people or the, the devil that is, is using, manipulating people. But God's here to say, hey, you've been fighting me. If And if I'm going to stay in your life, I need you to let me Spirit to bring Jesus into our life because we want joy. We were created for joy. We were created for love. We were created for peace. There is an abundance of those commodities in Jesus' presence. I have to be honest, I serve Jesus for selfish reasons. I want peace. I want joy. And if that requires me giving my whole life away to him, that's a small you, I want you to just to keep your hands raised as a sign of surrender, to pray with the Lord right now.
See you. 